This psalm is attributed to King David at the time when the prophet Nathan came to him after he slept with Bathsheba. David took Bathsheba without her consent while her husband, Uriah the Hittite, was serving in David's army at war. Listen to this prayer of confession and repentance as it comes to us from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Listen now to our second lesson as it comes to us from the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter, beginning with the 20th verse. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. 
the crowd standing there heard it and said it was like thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was to die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? O oh Lord, let some word that is heard today be yours, that hearing we might know your life. Amen. There, there is so much we could explore in this gospel lesson. What, what it means that Christ's hour had come why it was when the Greeks came with their questions and not the Jews that Jesus spoke these words. How Jesus being lifted up on the cross would not be a source of shame, but instead be a place of glory. And all of this bears considering. But let us save those for another day. And in this hour, explore these words that Jesus spoke. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What is Christ saying to his followers in that place? And what does this mean for us for today? The grain of wheat falling into the earth of course, is a metaphor for Jesus' death and burial. But instead of seeing his impending death as a sign of defeat, Jesus sees it as a sign of new life, a sign of victory. Jesus knows that he could have continued his life's work of teaching and healing. He could have chosen to live a lifetime which would touch the lives of many. But he also knows. He also knows as powerful as his words and healing were, they would not in themselves change the world. Jesus knows that it is only in his death, only in his death that true change will take place. What is the change? He tells us that with his death comes the judgment of this world, the judgment of the nations. That judgment, the revelation of sin and evil, will only be fully revealed in his death. <laughs> 
then, then as now, horrific events reveal underlying evil that has been there all along, then as now it takes revelation, an awakening to see what the corruption, what the injustice, what the toxicity that has been in our system all along has done to our world. We know, we know what sin and evil looked like then in Jesus' time, but as I name these realities in the ancient world, I urge you to consider how those evils manifest themselves today in our own communities and around the world. There was corruption in the political and economic world. In the Roman Empire, the wealthy got their way by paying homage and giving money to those in power. Pilate could get away with anything. And Herod knew that pay to play was how one got a seat at the table. The military and police stood at the service to those in power, not to the minorities. And local leaders of lesser standing, they often had to give in to the system to protect their place and sometimes to shelter their own people. In Jesus' death, all of this is revealed. There was corruption in the values of the secular world. In the Greco-Roman universe, success was measured by beauty, wealth, fame, social invitations, memberships, and private clubs, all awards that people treasured, awards that people treasured more than loyalty or kindness or generosity or truth. What is truth anyway, Pilate asks. In Jesus' death, this too is revealed. There was corruption in the religious world. Worship was monetized by the money changers in the temple. Faithfulness was measured by a preoccupation with purity of food, of Sabbath keeping, and even interactions with the unclean or foreigners. Arguments over every jot and tittle of the law took more time and energy than expressing love for neighbor or caring for those in need. In Jesus' death, this too is revealed. And and even Jesus' most ardent followers were not immune to the world's corruption. As Jesus faces his accusers and approaches death, one by one by one, his people fall away. The crowds who greet him on Palm Sunday soon call for his crucifixion. Judas will betray him with a kiss. Peter will deny he even knew him. In Jesus' death, all of this is revealed. And all of this, 
all of this invites us to consider the revelations we need to face in our own world. The political maneuvering and economic corruption, the valuing of some lives over others, which we overlook because we're in a place of privilege or because it's so familiar or because we have grown so jaded. The empty values that we harbor consciously or not in our competition for recognition or wealth or beauty or belonging. The failure of our church to focus on the things we say we value, which matter most to God, like justice and grace, the love of neighbor as ourselves, spending ourselves instead in endless meetings until we're all exhausted by the jot and tittle of our law and our own failure, our own failure as individuals to be faithful, giving up our hope, giving up our joy, giving in to cynicism, growing passive in our commitment to Christ, growing numb in our weariness of our daily lives. And for all of this, Christ died for us to reveal to us the reality of our sins and the evil of this world, to invite us to confess our culpability, to trust that revelation is a gift and not a curse, to trust that in the hands of God, the truth will set us free. This is the judgment. This is the judgment and and if Christ's death were the last word, we would have every reason to believe that our faith is done in vain. But the judgment, the judgment, the revelation is not the end. Instead, it is the beginning. It is the seed that is planted, the seed that grows, that bears fruit, that, that creates life abundant. The good news of the gospel, that the revelation of sin and evil is not the last word, was not just one and done in Christ's death. The revelation of the gospel is for us right here, right now. For when the grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it is no longer a single grain. Instead, when it dies, it bears much fruit. That seed that is planted in the darkness of our lives right here, right now, that seed, that seed is being watered by the abundant grace of God by the love that Jesus pours into us, by the spirit that brings light and life, that seed that is growing in the darkness 
will bear fruit in our lives and in the life of the world that God loves. Beloved in Christ, as we, as we come to this moment close to Holy Week, let our faith not be in vain. Let all the pretense die. Let, let the truth come and reveal. And let us grow to be the people God has meant for us to be for this season and for life evermore. Amen.